Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. It was an actual delight this morning. We came early. That wasn't the delight, but (laughs) came early and got to watch your team set this place up. It's just an experience. It's like an anthill, and you know everybody's got their job and they're doing it and so forth. You know, it may be a discomfort at times to have to go through all that, but to watch everybody work and watch everybody have a job. That's what creates community. Everybody has ownership, everybody has their spot, and we're gonna talk about that just a little bit towards the end here today. And before I get started this morning, I wanna do something that I know my wife would do the same thing, and that's that we would both stand here and just say to One Life, thank you. Thank you for receiving. Receiving our kids. It's very important as a parent watching your kids grow up. And when they came here to a brand new church to watch you guys receive them and love them and cooperate and watch you come into their homes and everything else, it does us good. We don't get much good back in Portland, Oregon. And so it it, it does our heart good to see that They've got a family over there. They've got a spiritual family. They've got people that they can, you know. And knowing that some of you are packing firearms is so secure. <laughs> it, just, it reassures my heart. <laughs> just, so I just want to say thank you. And Joanne just had a blast yesterday with the ladies there. And uh, so much of a blast that it took everything out of her. But she just really enjoyed connecting. So thank you so much. Today as we get going, I've entitled what I want to share with you, and it's not just something random, it's, it was some, a message that was actually designed just for this day, because this was, I know you're going to be your first gathering back at the beginning of a calendar year, and those times are very, very special. Not just special for you as a group, but actually, I'll share a little bit in a minute, that always marking and remembering the beginnings of things was something that God implemented. He put it into their calendar when Israel began to emerge as a nation and began to travel. And for the very simple reason, and Jason used the term up here for communion, they put reminders into their schedule so that people would not forget. And over and over again, and and the fact that God to Israel put those reminders in tells us all something very important and that is we have to have those in our life somewhere because we forget things. The busyness of life, a chronic situation that we're going through and it's so easy to put God in second or third place and so forth. But when it's on the calendar and God says you always keep this day, you always do this, it's very, very important. And the beginnings are are crucial this time of year. I know we do a lot of things in the beginning of of January. One of the things we do is try to get back into the routine that we somewhat developed last year. We got into a sleep routine, an exercise routine, and face it, from Thanksgiving on, that just goes to the wind. It just (laughs) does. And so we have to get back in step. We have to get our routines going, you know, and everything else, and that's important because oftentimes it's in our routine that we're the most productive because we can waste time on all kinds of tributaries, but God does that. But 
Outside of that, there are some important things about the beginning of the year. As a church, what God's going to be sharing with you for the next three weeks is he's going to start talking to you about where you as a church are in this next year. A church is like an individual, a child that grows up, and in every year of that developing life, something new comes about. A new motor skill, they start getting their permanent teeth, they start walking. Every season has an important function to it, and it's important for a church body to know where are we. Where are we in our growth? Where are we? Are we toddling? Are we into elementary? Are we laying foundation? Are we hitting adolescence? Where are we? Because knowing where you're at gives you the ability to anticipate what's going to come and to prepare yourself a little bit more for that. And so as a church now, you're going to be reviewing where you're at and what you think the next phase is going to be. Another sphere of what we do at the beginning of the year is try to get a pulse of our nation and trying to say, Lord, where's America going in the next year? And we have no idea, but some of it, there's some indicators out there that lets us know that there's some things that are very unsettled. And you know what? We have to prepare for those. I brought the boys up through scouts, and that was the motto, be prepared. Don't let things catch you off guard, and so forth. And so as a nation, you can look down, and and there's some trends you can see. We may not know the specifics, but we can definitely see the trends. We see it in the media. We see it in the public school curriculum. You see it on what uh, happens on the television and so forth. You get a feel for where the nation is going, and you realize what you're going to need to offset some of that. But another bigger sphere of that is where are we now in the history of the universe? God's master timetable. See, we can get focused on one life. We can get focused on the United States, but we're all part of one big picture, and that is where do we all fit in the big timetable of God? He's got a master plan, there was a beginning, and he has a plan when everything will be completed, and somewhere in that roadmap, 2023 is. And we need to know where we're at, how far we've gone, what we can expect to come up, and so forth. And so during these times at the beginning of the year now, we're going to be assessing these different dimensions of our existence and trying to figure out how we relate to it and so forth. And so in the notes there, you've got an introduction. And I want to give you just a little bit of background here. And I've mentioned two things there that God now put in Israel's history memorials. And that's a good way of putting it because every time they would hit one of these, the whole purpose was to think back and to associate this date with an event that has happened either in the past or things that are gonna happen in the future. And it's just to take time away from their schedule. In Israel's history, most of their festivals were considered Sabbath days, which means regardless of whether they happened in the middle of the week, you took work off. You took time to focus because the things you're going to focus on now are actually more important than just existence. And so there were these periodic seasons, and you'll find it, I know, at the beginning of the Jewish religious calendar is what we call the first month, and that's where they celebrate Passover for us. That's our March-April. And God told them back in Exodus chapter 12, back before they ever got out of Egypt, he said this, this month is now going to become your first month. 
from this point on, which is gonna mark your deliverance from slavery, we're gonna start a whole new calendar for your life. It's like we're rebooting this whole thing and we're going. And so what used to be the seventh month when you were a slave now becomes the first month of your redeemed life. And in that month now, God on the 14th day says, I want you to celebrate Passover, which commemorates the day in which God judged your old tyrant master, but by putting blood over your home, he protects you. And the judgment will pass overhead, but the judgment will not come in your home. And every year on the 14th day of the first month, remember that God saved you. Remember that God delivered you and what enabled all of that to happen was that blood that was put over the doorpost and we had communion today. That's the blood that protects us. That's the blood that sets us apart at this point. And so every Passover, the purpose from that point even into this day is every Jew thinks back to deliverance from Egypt. They look backwards and never forget the things that the Lord has done. But there was another holiday that they celebrated every single month. It's called the new moon. They were commanded to celebrate this every month. You read about it in, in Numbers, the book of Numbers chapter 26. You read about it in the book of Deuteronomy. The new moon is simply, and you'll see it in the sky, as the, month, the moon goes through its 29 and a half day cycle, that there's that period of time where there's no moon out. And all of a sudden, the next night, you see this little sliver of light in a crescent shape on the right-hand side. And that's the first light of the new moon. It's called the new moon. And it says that is the first day of the next lunar month that is there. And the reason that was important is because they were a lunar society. They lived by it. They planted their crops by it. They weaned their livestock. They weaned their children by the cycle of the moon because they were an agricultural society and they lived by natural forces, the rains, the seasons, the moon. That was their clock up there. And God told them that clear back in Genesis 1. I created it for signs and seasons and times. And so you can tell where you're at in your monthly cycle when you see that first little sliver there. And the blessing of the new moons, and that's what we're at right now, the blessing of the new moon is because it marks the beginning of another 29 and a half day cycle. It's the beginning of something new. And I think it's very appropriate when you look back at God's economy, every month he gives him a chance to start again. He says, you need to start again. Let's take care of last month, let's deal with it, but we can go on and hope for the new month. And we see down through history now that there do, you read about this even in the New Testament, the new moons that are there. And that's kind of the season that you're in right now. You're seeing the light of 2023 begin to emerge. It's gonna grow in there and so forth. And the big question is, what's ahead? And on this day, they would sound one of these silver trumpets. They were commanded to build these. And it signaled to the people, new beginning. New beginning, when you hear the sound of that trumpet, and that should be very important for some of you because there's coming a day when there's gonna be a trumpet that sounds and it's gonna be the beginning of a whole new era. It'll be the last trump in this era, but it's the first trump in what's to come. And God puts these into our calendar and he says, now remember, on this day, look back and remember, on this day, look forward. 
think ahead. And so in considering that what's up there, we ask ourselves a question, that's the title of it. How do we prepare ourselves for our future? How do we align ourselves and get ready? Because so much of the future is a fog, like Paul says in Corinthians. Now we see in a mirror darkly, but then we shall see face to face. But right now, even though it's obscure, God says, I can still give you some indicators on what's out there. And God wants us to prepare, and you'll see in your notes there, it's under Roman numeral two, it says that, that the church now should prepare for the future. And we really need to. Just like we prepare for the natural seasons, we hunker in and get ready for winter, you know, you make sure the house is all ready for the cold weather. Yeah, all right, and you guys drop down really, really cold this year and so forth, and you get ready for that. Uh, when you get near June, you make sure the AC is working, all right, and you, you know those seasons, there's certain things you have to do to prepare for what's next. And we need to prepare, and as you go in here, and I'd like to give you a list of words here. These are just some words, so that when you're reading through the Bible over the next year, and you see these words come up in the text, realize that these are all terms that God uses to prepare people. The first one is the word ready. Be ready. You find, I'll give you a great passage, it's out of Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and 25 are the two great chapters where Jesus is talking about his return back in the end of the age. And there in verse 44, he says this, for this reason, you must also be ready. He said, I'm gonna tell you a few things. I'm not gonna tell you everything. I'm gonna tell you a few things about the end and you make sure you take care of what I've told you and then you be ready. Whenever I come back, you don't know the day and the hour and you don't need to know the day and the hour. In fact, working with the day and hour will only obscure it. You'll miss what I've actually asked you to do. I've given you a great commission, and that is this, go into all nations and make disciples. You know that for sure. And he says, now you're gonna go out, but he says, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't know. Another word is watch. It's watch, and you'll see that word as you go through a lot of your books, like First and Second Thessalonians, some of the parables of Jesus, like the master of the household. If he had known what hour the thief was coming, he'd watched. And if he was watching, the house would not have been broken into. He has to be alert. Another word that you'll find there is the word alert, and that just means awake. It means your senses are engaged and so forth, and that we're there. The word awake, uh, we'll read here a passage in a minute, because uh, one of the, the problems that happens with time and our weariness and everything is we get tired, and when we get tired, we miss things. We miss things, we're not as observant as possible, and so he's gonna say awake. Those people that sleep, asleep in the night, and those people are awake, awake, and we are children of the day, not of the night. So we have to stay awake at this point. And the last one there is sober. And sober, the word there in uh, the New Testament is used, doesn't mean just low alcohol content. Sober at this point means nothing that is fogging one's senses. Nothing that is making it difficult to discern what's going on around you. None of it that impedes judgment call. And so he will tell them at times, you need to be sober. And sober is one of Paul's lovely words. He talks to the church all about it. He says, don't even let the affairs of the day, work, job, and everything else rob you of your ability to make good, clear decisions. And so these are some of the words that I've given to you. And these are the things that we need to add to our life and so forth as we come through so that when things begin to happen, we notice them. 
They don't just pass by. We notice the little details. Because sometimes it's just the little things. You know, Jesus told his disciples, when you see the buds on the trees begin to swell, then you know that the summer is on its way. Don't wait for a placard. Look for the little buds to swell. And then you know the next season is just about to come. And so we need to know the little signs that are out there. And it's an indicator for us. We find there, and you'll see in letter B, some preparation is individual. As we get ready for our future, there's things that we as individual people have to do. Okay, They're personal. I'm going to read a passage to you. It comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians. And Paul writes these two epistles to a church that's struggling with their understanding of the second coming. And so the purpose of 1 and 2 Thessalonians is actually to correct bad teaching on the second coming. And Paul has to come in. He had to leave town real quick. He didn't get a chance to finish his sermon series, all right? They started a riot, and they were going to kill the guy, all right? So that cuts the series short, all right? So you only got half the notes. And so... There were some things left undone, and in his absence, people began to try to fill in the gaps, and they came up with some really weird stuff. So Paul had to write back now to the church, and he had to describe. When you go through 1 Thessalonians, and this is where this is coming, every one of the chapters in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference to the second coming. And in one of them, it says, make sure you're rejoicing in Christ at his coming. Make sure that you're pure and you've sanctified your vessel at his coming. Make sure that you're praying at his coming. And he gives them all this practical advice, but this is one of the verses that points to individuals. It's in chapter four and verse 10. First Thessalonians 4.10, it says this, but we urge you, brethren. So we know he's talking to fellow believers. He's not giving an advice to unsaved world, it's to Christians. He says, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to what? And he's going to give him three pieces of advice. Lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, and work with your own hands. That is right there in a context about the second coming. And he's saying, as we get closer to the second coming, what I want you as a church to do is this. Don't live an upset, agitated life. Be peace. Live a quiet life. Be a peaceful life. The world's going to be falling apart. And what will separate Christians from the world is we're not falling apart. The shalom, the peace of God, is over our soul. And even though everything is going on, like the old hymn says, there is peace down here. I'm at peace in there. And he says, make sure you're at peace, not out in a public demonstration, screaming and yelling and everything else. Lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Ooh. <laughs> that takes care of three quarters of social media right there. You know, just mind your own business. All right? And then work with your own hands. You make sure that you take care of your responsibilities. That's personal advice. It's a great thing. But then he goes to the church and says, but there's some things that we have to do together. We need each other. And that is the corporate stuff. And I'll give you two passages here. It's like in chapter 10, verse 24 of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 24. It says this. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We have to motivate people to love each other. Motivate each other to continue to do good things. When the world gets more selfish, 
God's glory will be in a church that continues to do what's good. The world will be able to tell who you are. You don't have to give them the four spiritual laws. They'll be able to tell because you're not hoarding everything and you're not grabbing everything for yourself. You're still looking out for people. And that's what churches do. They welcome in people and so forth. And he says, and then he says this, not forsaking our own assembly together. He says, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And then he ends the verse with this. And all the more as you see that day drawing near. The closer the return of the Lord comes means that we need to be more you know, intentional about hanging out with each other, encouraging each other. Because I'll tell you this, we'll need it. The days are going to be tough enough that if we don't have each other encouraging each other, we won't make it. Our strength is in our unity. Our strength is in our body. We're together. These are corporate things. James chapter 5 and verse 7. James chapter 5 and verse 7. It says this, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. We don't know when it's come, so just chill. Be patient. For the farmer waits now for the precious produce of the soil. You guys are in farm country. You know this. You can't hurry the crop. You can stand there and scream at it all day. It will not grow faster. Okay. Your blood pressure will go up, but the crops will not grow. And it says this, being patient about it, until it gets the early and the latter rain, you too, just like the crop, be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. You're going to need patience. You're going to need these strengths in there. These are the things that you can do as a church as you gather together. And so these are some of the ways that we're going to prepare for it. Now, what are some things now to work on as we move towards the future? What are some things? And Jason will probably share more with you in the future and so forth. We have to learn to be a little resilient and learn how to respond to the seasons around us. Because kind of we're doing this on the fly uh, as we're living through. We've never been here before. We've never been in this decade. We've never seen a world quite as turmoil as it is right now, which means this. We're figuring this out as we go, okay? And that means we have to keep our ears open all the time. And so we come down, and the passage I listed there for you, 2 Peter 3.11 says this. Since all these things are to be destroyed, and 2 Peter is an apocalyptic book. It's one of those books that's on two different occasions. It's going to talk about the melting of the elements and the coming of Jesus. It's preparing people for the future days. And so it says, now since all these things now are to be destroyed, the natural earth, in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for now and hastening the coming of, our, of the day of the Lord because now of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements now will melt with intense heat. In light of everything that's going to happen, what kind of people should we be? That's a huge question. What's it going to take? What changes do I have to make in my life in order to be able to live in those days? the toughness that's there. So I've given you some little things, and this is just a, a sample of them. There's, the list goes on. But these are some specific areas in life that we can begin to work on. Uh, the first one I give there is temperament. This has to do with our personality and how we respond to life. The word there in the, in the text as you go through means gentle. 
It means to be gentle. It says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And then the verse ends there. This is in Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness, your forbearing, your considerateness, let these things now be known to all men. Why? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Which means that the closer we get and the closer the Lord gets to arrival, we need to be more considerate. We need to be forbearing. We need to be gentle. I watched some of the film clips, the news media of riots like back in January 6th in 2021, and I see people that have Christian placards and their mouth is as foul as anybody else in the crowd. They are obnoxious, and I'll tell you what, they're not giving glory to anybody but their egos. And God says, be gentle, because the Lord's near. He's coming back to find a considerate people. Read the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Love is never rude. Love is never egotistical. Love never looks for itself. Love always builds. It always encourages. What kind of people should we be? people now that are temperate in their emotions. They're in control of their emotions. The next one there is patient. They need to be patient. We read this now, and you can go back to 1 Thessalonians now 5.14. I know patience is tough. As a kid waiting for Christmas, you know, or something like that, and patience is just tough. And I look forward to the coming of Jesus. Every morning when the alarm clock goes off, I wait for the coming of Jesus. I get up. And the old man is still there. And I read those scriptures, put on the new, uh, yeah, yeah, you know. This one, the old man hurts right about there every single morning, you know, and you go through. And he comes through and he says, be patient. The farmer will not harvest the crop prematurely or it's not gonna taste good. Let it grow to full maturity. Let it come up together and, and the bad crop will grow together with it. The next one is sound judgment. Sound judgment. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, the end of all things is near. That's how the verse starts. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Sound means healthy. And to be sound now in oneself, it means to have qualities in our life that actually produce health. Read through the second chapter of Titus sometime and you'll say, old men, be sound in your faith and your love. Old women, be sound. And what's he telling everybody? Be healthy so that what? You can spread that health in the body of Christ. For if there is a disease here, a spiritual disease, it's easy for other people to catch it. It says be sound, be healthy. Let everything you do produce health in life. Number four there, you find peace. And we'll look at that. I'd encourage you, and I know Jason has has gone through and he's preached in the past, you go through like the Sermon on the Mount and you look at Jesus' first great sermon. And when you look at the Beatitudes, these are quality characteristics of the kingdom. And the first one there you go into, blessed are the poor in spirit. And it goes through and it says later, blessed are the peacemakers. And it says, they shall be called what? The children of God. Ooh. We don't get called the children of God because we outscream people. We get called the children of God because we make peace. Peace in families, 
peace in the workplace and so forth. Or as Paul says in Romans, as much as it's on you, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. That's a big one. And so peacefulness and then spotlessness you've got down there, and that is purity. We've got to clean up our act. The world is getting so polluted right now that everything out there is tainted with what they're trying to do. And the Lord comes in and he says, you need to clean it up. Blessed are those who keep their garments unspotted by the world. They don't let the world contaminate or mar what is there. And so our moral life, our ethical life, our purity with each other. Because remember, he's coming back for a spotless bride. And so the bride has to make herself ready. And this is what Revelation 19 is all about. The Spirit says, come. The bride has made herself ready. She's taken a bath. She cleaned her clothes. She's getting ready to meet her bridegroom, so forth. And that's going to be a great event as you look at it. The last area here, number four, and this is the one that we want to end with, and this is something, because I, I could give you a whole list of things that we need to do uh, to prepare for you know, the future and the second coming. And you say, oh no, more things to remember. <laughs> All right, no. I'm gonna give you one you're already doing. You did it this morning already. And that is worship. And that worship now is actually one of the most important things that you can do as a church not to fill in time, not to cover a half hour before the service and then we do church. No, church starts at the beginning. The whole thing is the worship service. The communion was the worship services and so forth. You go through. But you see there that the, the form of worship is there and worship has a very important role and I'm going to build it out for you a little bit as we see it. First of all, when we look at it, we need to define worship a little bit. And I, I wish I could teach on it, we can go into a whole lesson, but I'll, I'll just simply say this. Worship is not just singing praise. When you look at the, the languages of the Bible, there is actually a difference between worship and praise. And when you look at the passages on worship now, worship actually goes over, not to songs you sing, but it actually goes over to your attitudes. And you'll find that worship now, and let me just read you a definition, and you can define it there, you can put it down. It's a great one. It says, worship is a response of allegiance. It's a respond. It's where we respond and saying, I'm with you. I'm with you, God. It's a response of allegiance to the person of God. It's where I'm telling God, I'm your boy. I'm with you. I'm joined with you at this point. I'm in this whole thing with you. And how I do that is by focusing all activities of the human spectrum on his ultimate honor. I'll read the whole thing again. It's worship is a response of allegiance to the person of God. And how do I show my allegiance? By focusing all activities of the human spectrum Everything I do as a human being is focused on one thing, his ultimate honor. And at the end of the day, how I work at my job can either bring him honor or dishonor. How I drive on I-84 can either bring him honor or dishonor and so forth. And you go through and you look at that and I arrange all of those and I live all those things differently because what? I'm committed in allegiance to him. I never forget who I am, who I'm connected to, and why I'm here. 
That is what worship is all about. I mean, uh, we have worship students here, and, and Jeremy is visiting. He used to head up our worship department at the college there at Portland Bible College. And we, a lot of people say, well, worship is our songs and so forth. No, I'm worshiping God when I teach the best that I can to bring God honor. A preacher worships God by delivering a good sermon. The door greeter worships God by showing the love of God to a stranger that walks in. Even though he may just be a homeless guy looking for a free cup of coffee, all right? And that happens, all right? And you go through. Anything that shows God honor is an act of worship. And to be a worshiping congregation now means that we redirect everything to one end result, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory that's there. And so this is the definition that we see there as we go down. And number two there, it says, in worship is part of the church's destiny. We could get into a whole thing about worship, but let me just say this. Your future includes a whole lot of worship. And how I know that? Is it the book of the Bible that has more references to the word worship, even more than the book of Psalms has, is the book of Revelation. Of all 66 books in the Bible, Revelation uses the word worship or worshiped or worships more than any other book. And you'll see it, why? Because worship is what they do in heaven. Do they sing all the time? No, but whatever they do up there is to his glory whether it's holy, 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 or whatever, and read through the fourth chapter of Revelation. You got four living creatures. That's a garage band. It really is, okay? It just is. You got four living creatures, and they're over there, and it tells you the song that they sing, and only they sing it. And it records the lyrics to their song. Well, they won't be upstaged. Then comes the 24 elders. And the 24 elders do their, and they've got their own little song, and it's got their own little, and the angels won't be upstaged, and so they're over here, and then the myriad of angels, and that records their song. By the time you get through that chapter, you've got three hymns, and it records the lyrics. And then you go through the book, and you've got the song of all the myriad before then. Then you're gonna see them singing the song of Moses, and then you've got a very special song. It's the song of the redeemed. And guess what? Angels can't sing it. They've not been redeemed. The only people that can sing that are the people who've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And they are there thanking God for what he did. And you see it. Now, watch what happens on the earth. Because as the church really ramps up its worship for God, the people on earth are left with a statue of a beast and they have to worship it. And you read that last book of the Bible and what you're gonna see is separates the two groups of humanity is whether they worship the beast or they worship the lamb. That's what separates humanity. It's a worship war. And so our future depends on whether we remain a worshiping people. That stays part of our culture and so forth that is there. And so we are getting ready for the future. We are getting ready for our destiny that's up there. Now, some of the special benefits, and then I'll wrap it up here. Some of the special benefits now that we see as as we come up here, and that is this. We see in the benefits of worship, and and worship really does have some benefits. It's not just a one-way street, it's all for God. No, worship is good for us. Because as we worship, things happen to us as we do it. 
The first thing we find here is it helps us gain a clear perspective of God. Did you notice in the songs that Nick had us singing this morning? The Lord Almighty. It used all these terms like worthy, the Lord Almighty, and so forth. What's he doing? Those songs, as we sing them, reminds us of why we're here. It reminds us of the person that we are gathered here at this point and so forth around here. I'd like to read just a very short paragraph. It's out of a book. It's a commentary on the book of Psalms by a guy named James Hamilton. But he says this in his introduction to the whole Psalter, all 150 Psalms. He says, in early scripture, the word of God built now the psalmist's worldview. The songs he sang created his worldview. What came out of his mouth determined his objective. And the songs in turn sang truth into their souls. I love that. Your mouth speaks it, but you're speaking to yourself. By reminding ourselves of God and his character and so forth, we have to hear ourselves say it every once in a while. You come out of a hard week and you begin to question the goodness of God and then you read that God is good. Maybe you sin during the week and you don't think God likes you anymore and so you go to Psalms 136. Every verse, all 26, ends with this word. And the mercy of the Lord endures forever. You may come to church today and this sermon may mean nothing, but the thing that may help you walk out of here with your head up is to know even though you failed last week, there's a new moon. And the loving kindness of God endures forever. That's good theology. And so it helps us. It broadens our understanding of God. It says this, what the Psalms does is this. It retells the story we sing about history. It forces us to retell. It reinforces the truths. We may be a little shaky the first time through the chorus. Yeah, I don't know if I can really sing that, but by the end, you can sing it. It begins to reinforce the truth, and it now it represents the promises. Do we remember what God has actually said? Do you realize that all of those spiritual benefits do not come by lectures? They come through poetry, songs. Poetry can lift your soul. Poetry can teach you. And part of how we prepare ourselves for the future is by our worship. Now, let me get just a little technical for a minute and let me focus on one aspect of worship. It's when you sing and when you make music with the instrument that God gives to each one of us. Some of our instruments are better than others, all right? But nonetheless, we all have it, all right? Music. Music is a gift from God. Martin Luther called it that. It's a gift from God. And it's a gift because this, worship and especially singing is one of the few exercises that actually unites your entire being together at once. Almost every part of your nature gets involved. Listen to this. It says it's in music that when you sing, it will simultaneously activate your eyes because you're looking at the words on the screen. It activates your ears because you're hearing the tone. You're hearing what's there. It activates your body because you begin to get the rhythm and the beat. And for some of you, you don't even have to think about that. Your foot just starts tapping. 
or you start swaying. Why? Because your body is aligning itself with the worship. You are synchronizing with that. And as you go through and it begins to continue to go and it says this, your breath, do you realize this when you are singing? That as we sing through the songs, we get to the end of a phrase, most of you would stop and inhale. And for a brief moment as we sing that song, you're all breathing together. You're all in the same rhythm together. You're all looking at the same thing. You're all hearing the same thing and so forth. And even though you're separate individuals, what brings you together is an act, a single act. And then the good stuff starts happening. When you sing, it starts releasing endorphins. When you sing, your body releases dopamine, releases endorphins, so guess what? You start feeling better. You don't have to tell yourself, feel better, you just start to. Have you ever walked into a worship service? It's a typical drive to church. The wife is arguing with the husband, the kids are acting up in the back, the dog pooped on the floor, you know, everything went bad that morning, you know. And you get in here and the last thing you wanna do is be holy, all right? But you start singing a little bit and you walk away and you feel different. That is a physiological benefit of you being involved in singing. But you're singing to a very special person. And all of this gets aligned up here and you go through and so your glandular system, medical doctors have proven that people who sing regularly in groups go to doctors less often because it releases now hormones that are self-healing and self-generating in there. People that are involved in music and so forth in their life, they just find that their anxiety level goes down, other things step in, it's just a good practice. So be involved in a healthy thing and just focus on God. Now let me give you one last illustration and we'll end there. Back in 1971, I got drafted. It was not a good day, okay? I got a letter from the U.S. Department of the Army. It was not a good day, okay? I was looking for a lottery ticket. I was looking for something else. That's the only lottery I ever won, all right? <laughs> and it cost me three years of my life, all right? So I got this thing, and so June that year, I went off to boot camp. And I got to boot camp, and I was just ready to crawl through the mud and crawl under the wire and shoot my rifle and everything else. For the first two weeks, you know what we did? We marched. We got in formation, we were standing around and the sergeant would step up and he said, fall in. And we had to learn, regardless of where we were at, who I stood behind, who I was next, I positioned myself, we get in line, and all I have to hear is two words, fall in. That's it. And then the company commander would call us and we start going, and as we start marching, guess what? Everybody's in rhythm. Everybody's left foot goes forward at the same time. And then he started to sing. And our drill sergeant, he couldn't sing his way out of a bottle. He couldn't. But he was there, and he'd start singing these songs. I don't know, but I've been told. We all had to sing back. Now, that's the only line of the song I can share with you, okay? (laughs) Because this is a mixed group, all right? And it was a little raw. And there were guys in that group that had never sung in their life, and there's a reason for it, all right? They couldn't carry a tune, but you know what? We were all singing, we were all in step, and whatever, and one day I talked to the drill sergeant, I said, Sarge, when do we get to the weapons? And the sergeant says, they'll come. 
But before you ever get to that, there's one thing more important. I said, what's that? He says, you need to function as a unit. You need to move as a unit. You need to know your place in the group, not crowd somebody else. And when it says fall in, you know exactly where you go. Your rhythm has to be their rhythm. Your breathing has to be there. You have the same objective and you all get there at the same time. He says, and once you function as a unit, then you can go into combat because you'll watch each other's backs and you'll help each other. And that really struck a note with me because this, if we go into combat and we're not functioning as a unit, we get destroyed. And that's one of the reasons God has us sing. We know our place, we know our timing, we know our objective, we function as a unit, we move. And even though the singing ability isn't great, it's not my tonal qualities, it's the fact that I'm learning to honor God with my brother and my sister. And you know, it's good sometimes for you to stand there and listen to the guy next to you say, Lord Almighty. It's nice to know that you actually are standing next to a group of people who believe that God is Almighty, that He is the great I Am. You hear them and their voice is an encouragement to them. And I'd like to end today with, it's at the end of your notes. I want to take you through one of the most ancient forms of worship that the church has had. These were the creeds. And I put in there, this creed has been around since the second century. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And during the early church, in their history, what you'll find is that they would recite the creeds as part of their worship service. It was not as separate from it, it was part of it. Now remember, these people back then did not read. 90% of the society was illiterate. They didn't have public education. They didn't have books. Every book that was out there was handwritten, which made it very expensive, and the common farmer could not even afford one. So the only way that you retain things is to memorize them. And ask all your homeschool moms, the best way to teach your kids a series of things is to put it to music. And they sing these funny little songs, you know, know, all the states that border Canada and all that, who cares, you know, and so forth, you're up there. But they would recite these things. And as they recited them, now they were declaring what I, what we, believe. This is their worship. And we're going to read it together. I'm going to take you through it, and we're going to read it slowly and read through. But I'd like you all to do one thing. I want you to read out loud. I want your neighbor to hear you read out loud. This is worship. But somewhere during the middle of this, and please all do it at different times, or it's just going to go dead, all right? But somewhere through here, I want you as an individual to stop reading and listen. I want you to listen to your brothers and sisters. I want you to hear what the person next to you in your row says, I believe this. I believe this. Because this is part of our corporate development for the future. So look at it, and it's going to be up on the screen. And and here we go as we come into the end down here. And I'll start, and here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his Son, only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, 
dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's who we are. That's our identity. That's what we believe in and so forth. And you imagine here, you see the church getting fragmented in the United States and you see them all going off in different directions. Every Sunday you come to the Apostles' Creed and you get down to that line. I believe, now, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And that's not the Roman Catholic. That word Catholic means universal. And about the time I think I've given up on the church and I see it fragmented out and it's just us little group, no, I believe in the big church. And we're committing ourselves to the whole body of Christ and not just our little assembly that's here. See, this is part of our worship. It's for God, it's his, for his glory and so forth. But you know, the benefits spill over to us. And so today, as I end with you, and I wanna pray with you, you guys are starting your year. God's gonna give you a vision for your church. He's gonna open your eyes to how you fit into the nation and the community. And he's gonna give you a glimpse. You'll pull the curtain back to the future, the big picture. And as you see those things, just remember, we're walking together. That's how we're preparing for all of this. We're walking together in our allegiance to him and our commitment to each other. And that's how we position ourselves for the future. So join with me in prayer. Father, we just ask you to be with us. We just pray for this great church and we just ask, Lord, that you would guide and direct them, help them. Lord, and I pray for every volunteer, I pray for every parent, I pray for all of those. In this year that you're going to speak to them, you're gonna love them, you're gonna pour out your life upon them. So help them now, we just pray in your name. Amen.